I'm Dick Summer, and it's time to say goodnight. This is a quiet place to rest your head. A safe place to hide a hurting heart. A gentle place to fall. We just call this place goodnight. I am sitting here in my big, manly, comfortable black leather papa chair in my living room. I we I just got about four robocalls from people offering all kinds of things. A, a note from Santa Claus. Ah! <laughs> all right. Well, I also have a stack of printouts from the Christmas notes that you've been sending. And thanks for that. I really look forward to this every year. I'm going to read you some of them to help to warm up your whole, whole, whole if you need it. But uh, before that, let me remind you about our Pick a Person campaign first, if you don't mind. It's completely simple. It has nothing to do with money. I am willing to bet that there are some folks you know who aren't going to have much in the way of feeling special this Christmas. And the point of Pick a Person is so simple. You just pick one of those folks and go just a little out of your way to give him or her a little, little Christmas warmth. I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about maybe something as simple as a real smile or two or maybe a little conversation about Christmas. You know a good Christmas joke or something? Maybe you'd listen to some of the letters that I'm going to read to you in a moment and and tell that person a little bit about one of the letters. Or Maybe just a tiny gift, you know, a Tootsie Roll, cupcake, something like that, you know? It's that simple. You can spare a smile or a few words or a little chocolate. Come on. person you pick out will love it, and you will get a special wink from Santa, from helping him out, I'll guarantee. You've been helping Santa a long time. I know the guy pretty well. All right, Christmas note. I'm, I'm not sure. I think this came from proud podcast participant Becky. It's, it's a few years old. I'm not sure. It goes like this, about a Christmas pageant. It says, My husband and I have been happily married most of the time for five years, but hadn't been blessed with a baby. I decided to do some serious praying, and I promised God if he would give us a child, I would be a perfect mother, love it with all of my heart, raise it with his word as my guide. God answered my prayers and blessed us with a son. The next year, God blessed us with another son. The following year, he blessed us with yet another son. The year after that, we were blessed with a daughter. My husband thought we'd been blessed right into poverty. We now had four children, and the oldest was only four years old. I learned never to ask God for anything unless I meant it. As a minister once told me, if you pray for rain, make sure you carry an umbrella. I began reading a few verses of the Bible to the children each day as they lay in their cribs. I was off to a good start. God had entrusted me with four children, and I didn't want to disappoint him. I tried to be patient the day the children smashed two dozen eggs on the kitchen floor, searching for baby chicks. I tried to be understanding when they started a hotel for homeless frogs in the spare bedroom, although it took me nearly two hours to catch all 23 frogs. (laughs) When my daughter poured ketchup all over herself and rolled up in a blanket to see how it felt to be a hot dog, I tried to see the humor rather than the mess. In spite of changing over 25,000 diapers, never eating a hot meal, and never sleeping for more than 30 minutes at a time, I still thank God daily for my children. 
While I couldn't keep my promise to be a perfect mother, I didn't even come close, I did keep my promise to raise them in the Word of God. I knew I was missing the mark just a little when I told my daughter we were going to church to worship God, and she wanted to bring a bar of soap so she could wash up Jesus too. (laughs) Something was lost in the translation when I explained that God gave us everlasting life. And my son thought it was generous of God to give us his last wife. My proudest moment came during the children's Christmas pageant. My daughter was playing Mary. Two of my sons were shepherds, and my youngest son was a wise man. This was their moment to shine. My five-year-old shepherd had practiced his line. We found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But he was nervous, and he said, The baby was wrapped in wrinkled clothes. My four-year-old Mary said, That's not wrinkled clothes, silly. That's dirty, rotten clothes. A wrestling match broke out between Mary and the shepherd and was stopped by an angel who bent her halo and lost her left wing. I slouched a little lower in my seat when Mary dropped the doll representing baby Jesus and it bounced down the aisle crying, Mama, Mama. Mary grabbed the doll, wrapped it back up, and held it tightly as the wise men arrived. My other son stepped forward wearing a bathrobe and a paper crown, knelt at the manger, and announced, We are the three wise men, and we are bringing gifts of gold, common sense, and fur. The congregation dissolved into laughter, and the pageant got a standing ovation. Quote, I have never enjoyed a Christmas program as much as this one, laughed the pastor, wiping tears from his eyes. For the rest of my life, I'll never hear the Christmas story without thinking of gold, common sense, and fur. My children are my pride and my joy and my greatest blessing, I said, as I dug through my purse for an aspirin. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Here is another kind of a Christmas memory from uh, Dave V, another proud podcast participant. He says, early in the relationship, back when we were both freshman college students back in New Jersey, my first love's parents decided for various reasons to hate me virulently. I was a resident, but she lived at home. So for nearly two years, we saw each other behind their backs, stole minutes and kisses when we could walked the campus between classes, telling each other that it would be different soon, some day. In retrospect, it was not the best way we could have handled it, but for whatever reason, it was what we did. Finally, in the fall of 1976, we decided that we could not stand to spend another holiday apart, so we confronted her parents. Came out of our personal closet. It was angry and difficult and frightening. There was shouting and tears, but that isn't the Christmas story. We spent that Thanksgiving with my family, but... That isn't the Christmas story either, nor is it the fact that before spring arrived, we were done forever. On Christmas Eve in 1976, I drove to her home in Bergen County. The atmosphere in the house was tense and unfriendly, so eventually we went for a long walk. It was cold. It wasn't snowing, but there was a bit of snow on the sidewalks and the front yards clinging to the bare trees. We walked the empty suburban streets of her neighborhood, holding hands, stopping to kiss, delighting in the sensation of merely being together, of feeling free and in love. I remember little else of that long-ago night except for the way that the dim, widely-spaced streetlights cast our long shadows on ahead of us, elongated and distorted against the whiteness of the snow. I remember that the headlamps of passing cars made diamonds glint from the piles of plowed snow. I remember how the Christmas lights blinked on porches as we passed. And I remember that, for just a while... 
We were so very happy. Happy holidays to you and yours, Dick. From Dave V. Here's a Christmas story from uh, Pastor Rob, another proud podcast participant and evidently quite a guy. He says the brand new pastor and his wife, newly assigned to their first ministry to reopen a church in suburban Brooklyn, arrived in early October, excited about their opportunities. When they saw their church, it was very run down and needed a lot of work. They set a goal to have everything done in time to have their first service on Christmas Eve. They worked hard, repairing pews, plastering walls, painting, stuff like that. And on December 18th, they were ahead of the schedule and just about finished. On December 19th, a terrible tempest, a driving rainstorm, hit the area and lasted for two days. On the 21st, the pastor went over to the church and his heart sank when he saw that the roof had leaked, causing a large area of plaster about 20 feet by 8 feet to fall off the front wall of the sanctuary just behind the pulpit, beginning about head high. The pastor cleaned up the mess on the floor, and not knowing what else to do but postpone the Christmas Eve service, he headed home. On the way, he noticed that a local business was having a flea market time kind of sale for charity, so he stopped in. One of the items was a beautiful, handmade, ivory-colored, crocheted tablecloth with exquisite work, fine colors, and a cross embroidered right in the center. It was just the right size for the, to cover the hole in the front wall. He bought it, and he headed back to the church. By this time, it had started to snow. An older woman running from the opposite direction was trying to catch the bus. She missed it. The pastor invited her to wait in the warm church for the next bus 45 minutes later. She sat in a pew and paid no attention to the pastor while he got a ladder, hangers, and stuff like that to put up the tablecloth as a wall tapestry. The pastor could hardly believe how beautiful it looked, and it covered up the entire problem area. Then he noticed the woman walking down the center aisle. Her face was like a sheet. Pastor, she asked, where did you get that tablecloth? The pastor explained. The woman asked him to check the lower right corner to see if the initials EBG were crocheted into it there. They were. These were the initials of the woman, and she had made this tablecloth 35 years before in Austria. The woman could hardly believe it, as the pastor told how he had just gotten the tablecloth. The woman explained that before the war, she and her husband were well-to-do people in Austria. When the Nazis came, she was forced to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week. He was captured, sent to prison, and she never saw her husband or her home again. Pastor wanted to give her the tablecloth, but she made the pastor keep it for the church. Pastor insisted on driving her home. That was the least he could do. She lived on the other side of Staten Island and was only in Brooklyn for the day for a house cleaning job. What a wonderful service they had on Christmas Eve. The church was almost full. The music and the spirit were great. At the end of the service, the pastor and his wife greeted everyone at the door, and many said that they would return. One older man, whom the pastor recognized from the neighborhood, continued to sit in one of the pews and stare, and the pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. The man asked him where he got the tablecloth on the front wall because it was identical to one that his wife had made years ago when they lived in Austria before the war. And how could there be two tablecloths so much alike? He told the pastor how the Nazis came, how he forced his wife to flee for her safety, and he was supposed to follow her, but he was arrested and put in prison. He never saw his wife or his home again for all the 35 years between. 
The pastor asked him if he would allow him to take him for a little ride. They drove to Staten Island and to the same house where the pastor had taken the woman three days earlier. He helped the man climb the three flights of stairs to the woman's apartment, knocked on the door, and he saw the greatest Christmas reunion he could ever imagine. True story submitted by Pastor Rob Reed. Thank you, Rob. Proud podcast participant Steve Green wrote a beautiful note, said in part, My late mom came from a large family by the time they had made their way from Poland to Boston, where a street, Greenwood Avenue, was named for my grandfather who built homes in the area. There were six sisters and a brother. My Aunt Fran had a ladies' undergarment store. She specialized in undergarments for women who had undergone mastectomies. She always invited me to sleep over on Thanksgiving so I could go to work with her on Friday to be the first kid in the family to see all the decorations in downtown. Year after year, I would get to spend that weekend with my aunt on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Many times there was snow, and what's now known as Downtown Crossing was lit with the beautiful sights and sounds of Christmas. My other Jewish friends were often confused how I could enjoy this aspect of the holiday season. I explained that I wasn't celebrating Christmas. I was enjoying the candelabrum used. The menorah has seven branches and was used in the tabernacle in the wilderness and the temples. But I had a great heads up on the latest toys and games that were out thanks to my special Friday in downtown Boston. What a wonderful time it was. Oh, how I wish I could do it again. Thanks, Steve. Proud podcast participant Jim Silk is a world traveler, has written many times. Here's a note he wrote about Christmas. He says, Ironically, I found the most Christmas from Hindus in Mumbai. Indians are taught to honor visitors. People I didn't know brought me beers. A man on the street went way out of his way to help me when I was lost. When the bus would not accept dollars, a man paid my fare in rupees and refused to take the equivalent in dollars. An auto rickshaw, a small taxi driver, accepted a ticket for a prepaid set point-to-point fare. When he couldn't locate my hotel, he drove around and around for 20 to 30 minutes extra time with nothing to gain for himself except lost revenue, time, and gas. He was trying to do justice by me. A measure of the Christmas in that Hindu. I got out of the auto rickshaw and walked, finding the place on my own. I didn't want to burden him any further. Where did I find the most Christmas? In India. Very interesting, Jim. And from a proud podcast participant, Texas Ty. <laughs> the Christmas cookie rules. Number one, if you eat a Christmas cookie fresh out of the oven, it has no calories because everyone knows the first cookie is the test and it is thus calorie free. Number two, if you drink a diet soda after eating your second cookie, it also has no calories because the diet soda cancels out the cookie calories. Number three, if a friend comes over while you're making your Christmas cookies and needs to sample, you must sample with your friend. Because your friend's first cookie is calorie-free, rule number one, yours is also. It would be rude to let your friend sample alone, and being the friend that you are, that makes your cookie calorie-free too. Number four, any cookie calories consumed while walking around will fall to your feet and eventually fall off as you move. 
This is due to gravity and the density of the caloric mass. Number five, any calories consumed during the frosting of the Christmas cookies will be used up because it takes many calories to lick excessive frosting from a knife without cutting your tongue. Number six, cookies colored red or green have very few calories. Red ones have three and green ones have five, one calorie for each letter. So make more red ones. Number seven, cookies eaten while watching Miracle on 34th Street have no calories because they are part of the entertainment package and not part of one's personal fuel. Number eight, as always, cookie pieces contain no calories because the process of breaking causes calorie leakage. Why didn't I think of that? Number nine, any cookies consumed from someone else's plate have no calories since the calories rightly belong to the other person and will cling to their plate. We all know how calories like to cling. And number 10, any cookies consumed while feeling stressed have no calories because cookies used for medicinal purposes never have calories. So there are the rules. So go out and enjoy those Christmas cookies. We only get them this time of year. I really hope that you will join in the fun here and send us some Christmas thoughts that you might have too. The address is dick at Summer. Dot com. We'll all kind of give Santa Claus a hand. You know, some people don't believe in Santa Claus. They'll tell you Christ was born in the spring, not on December 25th. And, and they're right. But the truth is, I really don't care when Christ was born. I don't even care if he was really the Son of God. He gave us lots of good ideas and lots of love. And I figure that even if you don't believe in Christ at all, you have to admit that his birthday celebration is a blast. So is Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Solstice, any other holiday that involves candles and music and getting people close together and some laughs that you really need these days, that's for sure. A few tears that you can't help. Good stuff to eat. And most important, some great loving. I especially like that part. What do you like best about the season? Got a story for me? Please send it doesn't need to be spectacular or even well-written. just needs to be real, like Christmas. I'd really love to hear from you. My address is dick at dicksummer.com. There is a story about a very long time ago Christmas in my own life, in the Love & Touch personal audio CD. The story is called Christmas Warm. Bike bells, doorbells, typewriter bells. Fire bells, alarm clock bells. Bells trickle through the calendar, tinkling down the days almost ignored until November dies. And then the school bells, timer bells, cash register bells all sing the sound of the season. Big bells, baby bells, telephone bells. Telephone bells. They are the ones that give a glisten to the silver Christmas air. It was in an icicled outdoor telephone booth with the door frozen open and a small snowdrift in the coin return slot that I called to ask if you wanted to go Christmas shopping. And you said yes, in a voice that curled around and into my ear moist and warm from inside you. It was like slowly pressing my foot into a warmed, fur-lined bedroom slipper. It was the first time I ever really enjoyed the bustle of shopping. And when we finished, we stood in the brilliant cold to watch the flashing Christmas tree lights in the park. The reflections made candlelit stained glass windows of your eyes. 
Right there, in the swirl of gold wrapping paper and red ribbon bows and the tumble of the hustling crowd while your arms were trapped under the bundles of Christmas gifts that we just bought, I said, Merry Christmas, and kissed you. It took you by surprise. You flicked your eyelashes wide enough for me to look at something that few women ever show a man. For as long as it took my breath to melt the snowflake from your wind-tangled hair, you slipped out of the delicate black lace of feminine mystery. Your eyes fed me the full, round, warm honey of your most personal love. And I think it was just my breath that painted pink frost crystals on your cheek. You just closed your eyes and stood there in an almost holy silence. And that's how we rode home that blizzard night, the car's heater thawing the scent of green pine from your fur collar. We were so close that I didn't even want the crunching of footsteps in the snow between us. So I carried you from the car to the house, the flowered tops of your nylons blooming in the snow falling on my corduroy coat sleeve, the jingle bells of my keys sounding the start of our first Christmas together. After unbuttoning our snowy clothes and rubbing our backs on the black velvet dark of our quiet room, you pressed the pink curves of your breasts and shoulders to my chest. You said it made you warm. Telephones have ringtones now instead of bells. The outdoor phone booths are all gone. But the Christmas lights are on again this year. And they're making sparkling reflections in that same lady's soft blue eyes for me. She's lighting my life and, and keeping our Christmas warm one more time. Time to tuck you in now. I'm Dick Summer, and I hope you'll come back soon for a gentle place to fall. Quiet place to rest your head. Safe place to hide a hurting heart. Nice and easy now. Couple of deep breaths. Come on. There you go. Just one more. That's better. All the way to sleep. All the way to sleep. Good night.